You know, losing one's ability to see and to hear it can put someone in a very <clears throat> dangerous position. The oncoming train, um, the flashing lights at the crossing, they can't be seen. Uh, the whistle of the train that is approaching, it, it can't be heard. Consequences can be deadly. And that's also true spiritually speaking. Spiritual blindness, spiritual deafness have, can have terrible consequences. And such was the case for ancient Israel. And we're studying the book of Isaiah, and we have seen over and over again in our study of Isaiah, and he was a prophet, so he speaks this prophetic word of warning to those ancient people, the chosen people of God, Israel, that because of their sin, judgment was going to come. God was going to bring enemies like the Assyrians or hundreds of years after Isaiah wrote. He prophesied to the coming Babylonians that were going to be the tools of God's judgment against his chosen people. I want to pick up with our study at the end of chapter 42. So take your Bibles or your Bibles on your smart device or whatever you've got there and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 42. I want to begin reading at verse 18. I'm reading here from the New American Standard Version, so you may have an NIV or a New King James or King James Version. There'll be a little differences, but verse 18 of chapter 42 says this, Hear, you deaf. Look, you blind, that you may see who is blind but my servant, or so deaf is my messenger whom I send. Who is so blind as he that is at peace with me, or so blind as a servant of the Lord? Verse 20, you have seen many things, but you do not observe them. Your ears are open, but none hears. The Lord is pleased for his righteousness' sake to make the law great and glorious, but this is a people plundered and despoiled all of them are trapped in caves or hidden away in prisons, and they've become prey with none to deliver them, and a spoil with none to say, give them back. Who among you will give ear to this? Who will give heed and listen hereafter? Verse 24, who gave Jacob up for spoil and Israel to plunderers? Was it not the Lord, Jehovah, against whom we have sinned and in whose ways they were not willing to walk and whose law they did not obey? And so he poured out on them the heat of his anger, the fierceness of battle, and it set him aflame all around, and he didn't recognize them. And he burned them, and he didn't pay any attention. Isaiah here is mourning the fact that God's chosen people have turned their back on him, and judgment was coming. Here was the people of God that were chosen in a special way Slaves that had been in Egypt, you know the story, Moses the great deliverer had taken them out under the power of God's deliverance and hand, and they come to Mount Sinai, and God constitute them, constitutes them as a, as a people, as a special people. He gives them a law, a constitution to follow. You are my beloved people. You are my chosen people. To be a light, to, be a, to radiate my glory to the world, I'm choosing you to be my servant. Last week, in the beginning of chapter 42, we saw another servant that was to come, an individual. But he's talking here again about a blind servant, a deaf messenger whom I, I send. And, and, and 
they've walked away from me. Verse 21 is a, a key verse. It says, For the Lord was pleased for his righteousness' sake to make the law great and glorious. He gives them the law. He gives them this expression of who he is. That's what the law is. It reveals the character of God. And back in, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses wrote, See, I've taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do this in the land where you are entering to possess it. And so keep them and do them. For that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and they'll say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Moses is saying, you want to be a wise and understanding people? Do you want the world to, to, to step back and say, wow, man, do you have a great thing going? You're following the, the one true God, and he's giving you this law, but Isaiah's saying he didn't do it. He didn't follow it. You ignored the law. And consequently, verse 22, this people is plundered and despoiled. They're trapped in caves, hidden away in prisons. They become prey with none to deliver them. The Assyrian army had come. They had taken away the northern kingdom in the captivity in 722 B.C. And the southern kingdom, the Jewish people in the south, living in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas, they saw that. And yet they still turned their heart away from God. They didn't listen. And here come the Assyrians again. They surround Jerusalem. We've seen this in the, our study of the book of Isaiah. And then Isaiah prophesied in chapter 39 that in about 100 years after he wrote that, there was another empire that was going to come and would take charge and, and sack Jerusalem and take those, that remnant of those people in the southern kingdom of Judah away into captivity into Babylon. It was coming because of the judgment of God. You see, in verse 25, his anger burned against his people. They were aflame with his righteous wrath. Now, turn with me to the end of chapter 43, starting um, in verse 22. Chapter 43, the next chapter, verse 22. Yet you have not called on me, O Jacob. You've become weary of me, O Israel. You've not brought to me the sheep of your burnt offerings, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings, nor wearied you with incense. Verse 24, you have, you have bought me no sweet cane with money. You, neither have you filled me with the fat of your sacrifices. Rather, you, you have burdened me with your sins, and so you have wearied me with your iniquities. It's I, verse 25, I, even I, I'm the one who wipes away your transgressions for my own sake, and I'll remember your sins, but verse 26, put me in remembrance. Let's argue our case together. State your cause that you may be proved right. Your first forefathers sinned. Your spokesmen, you know, the prophets, they sinned. They turned away. They transgressed. In verse 28, so I will pollute the princesses of the sanctuary and I will consign Jacob to the ban and Israel to revilement. Judgment was coming. Interesting play on the word weary, is it not? Verse 22, you, you have wearied of me. That sums up 
Israel's relationship with God. They just, they just ignored him. You've wearied of me. Even though, verse 23, I haven't wearied you. I've entered into a relationship, into a covenant with you. But verse 24, but I'm tired of it. Your sins weary me about you. The point of these two sections, the end of 42 and this one we just read, is that God's people were going to experience the harsh discipline of God because of their disobedience, their rebellious hearts. And whether it was the, the coming armies of Assyria or a hundred years later, the coming armies of Babylon, God was doing this to discipline his people because they deserved it. It's judgment of God. Now, sandwiched in between those two paragraphs, those two sections of, of judgment, is one of the most beautiful passages in all of Isaiah. It's a remarkable picture of God's love and grace to an undeserving people. Look at verse 1 of chapter 43. See how it begins? But now. Two of the most wonderful words in the English language. But now. Let's read it. Thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who forms you, O Israel, do not fear. I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When, you. when you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I've given Egypt as your ransom and Cush and Seba in your place. Verse 4, since you are precious in my sight, and since you are honored and I love you, I'll give others in your place and other peoples in exchange of your life. So do not fear, verse 5, for I'm with you. I'll, I'll bring your offspring from the east and gather you from the west, and I'll say to the north, give them up. And I'll say to the south, don't hold them back. Bring my sons afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who's called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. Bring out the people who are blind, verse 8, even though they have eyes. And bring out the deaf, even though they have ears. All the nations have gathered together in order that the peoples may be assembled. And who among them can declare this and proclaim to us the former things? Let them present their witnesses that they may be justified, or, or let them hear and say, it is true. Verse 10, but you are my witnesses, declares the Lord and my servant, who I have chosen, in order that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there no, there no God is formed, and there is none after me. I, even I, am the Lord. There's no Savior besides me. It is I who have declared and saved and proclaimed. There was no strange God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God, verse 13. Even from eternity I am he. And there's none who can deliver out of my hand. I act. Who can reverse it? And so thus says, verse 14, the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I have sent to Babylon and will bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans into the ships in which they rejoice. I'm the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. And thus says the Lord, Jehovah, who makes a way through the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and the horse and the army and the mighty man, 
and they will lie down together and not rise again. They have been quenched and extinguished like a wick. Verse 18, do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a, a roadway in the wilderness and rivers of the desert. The beasts of the field will glorify me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I have given waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. Verse 21, the people whom I formed for myself, they will declare my praise. Now, I, you, you've hopefully enjoyed a wonderful Thanksgiving. Hopefully it was not too much tenseness and, you know, not, not too gluttonous. I could preach a sermon on gluttony, but, oh, physician, heal thyself. Hopefully you, you had times to just sit around and express thanks uh, for, for many things. But in case you fell short, I want to give you this morning 10 things that you can be thankful for. 10 important truths to be thankful for. If, you've, if you use our, our FBC app that's uh, on a smart device, you can pull that up and, and uh, follow along And that. We've got those 10 there listed. Uh, 10 things to be thankful for as we see from Isaiah 43. Here's the first one. Let's be thankful for God's holiness and His hatred of sin. He's expressing it in these passages, those two bookend passages that we saw. God is holy and He deals with sin. Let's be thankful that we have a holy God. It says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, for those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom His Father does not discipline? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, that we can share His holiness. He's a holy God, and He wants to share that holiness with us. And so, because He's so pure and so righteous, He wants us to be the same. Can you imagine a God who was capricious, who was, who was less than holy? Samuel reminds us there is no one holy like the Lord. He's in a class all of his own. There's no one beside you. There's no rock like our God. Psalm 145, uh, verse 17, I think it is, says, in all his ways he is righteous. Are you thankful that there's a God in heaven who is so perfect, so pure, so righteous and holy altogether? You don't have to worry where he's coming from. He's not going to do one thing to this group of people and another thing to that group of people. You don't have to wonder if he's going to do it this way one time and another way another time, that he, that he is um, inconsistent with how he is and who he is within himself. He's holy. And you can always count on the fact that he will always do what is right and he will always deal with sin. He's a holy God. Are you thankful for that? You remember reading the, about the ancient Greek mythology, the pantheon of the Greece and Rome, the, the crazies, gods and goddesses of ancient lore? Our God is holy. 
and righteous altogether. Here's the second thing to be thankful for. Let's be thankful because in that holiness, God disciplines us in grace. He disciplines us in grace. Look at verse 2 of chapter 43. Verse 2 of chapter 43. It says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. Now, what did we just read in the previous verse, verse 25 of chapter 42? I'm going to burn you. I'm going to light the flames. And now, you know what he's saying? And while you're going through the waters, and while you're going through the burning, I'm there with you. Because he disciplines us in grace. Back in chapter 8, verse 7, it talks about, Therefore, behold, the Lord is about to bring on them, the, the Jewish people, the strong and abundant waters of the Euphrates. The king of Assyria and all his glory will rise over all its channels and go over its banks and will come as a flood in judgment. And now God is saying in verse 2 of chapter 43, And when that happens, and when you are going through the waters, and when my burning wrath burns you, I'm right there with you. I'll walk with you. Because you see, he disciplines us in grace. As Hebrews 12, we just read, God disciplines us for our good that we can share in his holiness. Oh, be sure he's holy and he will always deal with sin. But this is a promise, I'll walk with you through it. He desires to refine us and purify us because that's his character of love. Here's a, here's a third thing uh, to be thankful for. Let's be thankful because of God's constant presence with us. See verse 5 there in chapter 43, do not fear, I'm with you. A couple weeks ago we were in chapter 41 and in verse 10 it says, do not fear for I am with you. Don't anxiously look about you, I'm your God. Can you be thankful this morning that there's a God in heaven, the creator of the universe, the one who called all this into existence by the powerful word. He just spoke it into, the, into existence, but he, he's with us. He's a constant presence with us. We don't have to anxiously look about. The writer of Hebrews again says, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have because he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You don't have to anxiously look about. Look, I'm walking with you. Are we thankful today that if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the God of all glory has said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Lo, he says, talking to us, <laughs> I'm with you always. Here's a fourth thing to be grateful for and thankful for on this weekend. Let's be thankful because... We can live without fear. Do not fear, verse 5. I'm with you. Don't live in fear. Psalm 23, verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Let me read to you from um, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood. He himself, talking about Jesus, he himself likewise partook of the same so that through his death he might render powerless 
him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And then it says in verse 15, and that he might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear nothing because of his presence. His presence with me. We can so oftentimes live in fear because our eyes are on so many other things. But when our eyes are looking at him, he casts out fear. Are you thankful today? Yeah, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world and maybe a lot of crazy stuff going on in your life. Fear not, he says, because I'm with you. Let's be thankful because he is with us and we don't have fear. Here's the fifth thing. Let's be thankful because we can enjoy intimate fellowship with God. Verse 1 again. I Thus says the Lord, your creator, Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Intimate fellowship with God. God calls us by name. He knows us intimately. Here's what Jesus said in John 10. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep, and to him the doorkeeper opens. And the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. How sweet is that? He calls us by name. Hey, every one of us in this room has a name, right? Um, you may not know the name of the person behind you or in front of you. It's hard in a church this size. Uh, it's a challenge. The older I get, the harder it becomes. Um, but, you know, there's Peter down there, and there's Ben and Kelly, and there, you know, we, there's Jeff out there and whatever, and Bob. And, but it's challenging to recall names sometimes, but everyone has a name. God knows your name. You could be in a crowded, vast room in a foreign country where no one knows you, but God knows your name. He's called you by name. There's this personal intimacy with this awesome, majestic creator, God. He knows you by name. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're his sheep, and he's got you named. But jump down to verse 7. Verse 7 says, And everyone who is called by my name, he knows our name, but the text is also saying he has called us by his name. That takes it to another level of intimacy. You know, um, picture a, a scene in a community, and you got, it's after school, and there's 10, 12 kids out there playing and all of a sudden, a voice is heard. Billy, Susan, come on home, time to eat. And two of those little kids turn around and, and run home, Billy and Susan, because they've been called by name. But they've been called by name who, by someone, their father, who has given them his name. I've got four kids. 
Paul, Stephen, Alyssa, and Sarah. I'm so grateful I could remember that. <laughs> you know, don't you go through the whole list? You, 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 can, have, you can have two kids and you name 10,000 kids before you get to the one that's, you know, Sarah, Paul, Angela, you! you. Four kids. And I, I know them by name. But they also bear my name. It's Paul Carey and Stephen Carey, and it was Alyssa Carey, now it's Alyssa, Alyssa Avery, and it was Sarah Carey, now it's Sarah Moorhead. Why? Because two young men came and loved those girls, named them their own name, Avery and Moorhead. But God calls us by name. There's this intimacy with Him, and He has given us His name. doesn't get any better than that. We are His children. So here's the sixth thing to be thankful for. Let's be thankful because God is our Father. Look at verse 5. Again, do not fear. I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather you from the west, and I will say to the north, give them up, and the south, don't hold back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. You know, the, the concept of God as Father is seldom uh, mentioned in the Old Testament. I think 15 times in the whole Old Testament, God is referred to in that way, that intimacy of, of Father. Now, you, you go to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, over 165 times uh, God is referred to as Father. Or the uh, Pauline epistles, over 40 times God is referred to as Father. In the Old Testament, it's pretty sparse. But here's one of those instances where this idea of a, of a father, when he calls, I call my sons, I call my daughters. Are you thankful today that if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you really have a heavenly father? And I know for some that can be difficult because you may have grown up in a home where there was not a dad or a kind dad or a, a dad that you would want to have some endearing relationship to. But there is a heavenly Father who cares for you. And He calls you His children. He calls you His sons and His daughters. It says, the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. You have received a spirit of adoption as, as sons, as children, by which we cry out, Daddy, Father, Papa, Daddy. Abba, Father. Are you glad this morning that you can go to the creator of the universe and say, thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Papa. Thank you, Father, for what you've done for me. Here's a seventh thing to be thankful for. Let's be thankful because God is our Redeemer. Twice in this passage, he mentions that. Verse 1, Thus says the Lord, the Creator who formed you, do not fear, I have redeemed you. And then in verse 14, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. This is one of those terms in the Old Testament. Isaiah uses it 13 times in his, it's a very important term for Isaiah, Redeemer. But it's one of those very endearing concepts in the Old Testament. The book of Ruth is devoted to this whole concept of, of a Redeemer, because in that culture, if there, if there was a, a person who had 
gotten themselves into a situation, either by their own cause or maybe no cause of their own, into such poverty, into such indebtedness, that they would be forced into certain slavery, the law allowed for a, a, a near kinsman to rise up. If he could pay that debt off, he could set them free, release them from the debt. He could stand in their place and pay the debt. He was called a goel, a kinsman redeemer. The redeemer, the one who did not um, owe the debt, but paid the debt. And God says, I'm your redeemer. He paid a debt he didn't owe for sinners. He is our redeemer. He cares for us. Here's an eighth thing to be thankful for. Let's be thankful because we are loved by God and we are precious in His sight. Look at verse 4. Since you are precious in my sight and since you are honored and I love you, I will give others in exchange for you. What wonderful concepts. Here is God telling these sinful, undeserving people, you're precious. I love you. I care for you. I have redeemed you. And it's a love that is not based on our performance. It is truly unconditional. Here, again, sandwiched in between those two passages that speak of their sin and the coming judgment, God says, but you're precious to me. I love you. So I'm going I'm to redeem you. You're mine. I know your name. I've given you my name. Are you thankful today that if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, God looks at you today and he says, I love you. You, and he names your name, you are precious in my sight. You may have come here today and not felt very precious, not very honored, not very loved. And so it's a faith thing. If God says it, he means it. He loves you with an unconditional love based on his own character alone. Here's a ninth thing to be thankful for. Let's be thankful that God has forgiven our sins and he remembers them no more. Verse 25, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. I will not remember. I think that's almost stronger than saying I, I forget your sins. It's, it's an act of the will where he says, I choose not to remember them any longer. See, when it comes to our eternal salvation, our eternal hope, we have the absolute assurance that God will never bring up our sins in his judicial court of law because he's said, I've already acquitted you. How did that happen? If you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus paid for your sins in full. Not just the sins that we did in the past, but the sins that we're even going to commit in the future. He shed his blood 
to make the payment for our sins. Our Redeemer, He set us free from God's judicial court that held over us our sins in judgment. Jesus stepped from His throne of glory, He went to the cross, and He paid in total our sins. Are you glad this morning? Because, you see, I'm looking out at folks who, if I was a betting man, I bet you didn't live perfectly this last week. And you're looking at a guy who didn't live perfectly either. You see, we've sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. But Jesus has paid for our sins. He died on the cross. He paid for them in complete totality. Are you glad? Are you thankful this morning that he says, I've wiped them out? Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far I've removed their transgressions from us. Because that's the kind of God he is. Do you know him as your personal Savior? Have you received the free gift of eternal life? Is what I just said, is it true of you? The good news is, it really is a gift that is received simply by taking. What does taking mean? It means you simply believe it. This is the free offer that God gives to us. He wants to be our Redeemer, our Savior, to call us His own, to be our Father. But we're sinners. Jesus paid for those sins. He says, okay, they're paid for. Now will you receive eternal life as a free gift? Trust me, he says. And all you have to do is transfer your trust off of yourself, your own goodness, your own attempts to earn that favor and come to a point where you say, I can't earn it. I'll receive, though, a free gift. And right now, right here, you can receive that free gift. Are you thankful that you've got that kind of a God? Here's a tenth thing to be thankful for. Let's be thankful because God is sovereignly working out His plan of the ages and nothing, nothing can stop Him. Look at verse 12. It is I who have declared and saved and proclaimed. And there was no strange God among you. You are witnesses, declares the Lord. And I am God. Verse 13, even from eternity I am He. There is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? Look over at verse 18. Do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. And by the way, I think he could be referring in that previous verse to an, um, an allusion to the um, um, freedom that they got from Egypt as they passed through the Red Sea and dry land and, and, and the Pharaoh's armies were extinguished in the water. Well, he says in verse 18, don't call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Verse 19, behold, I'll do something new, and now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness and rivers of the desert. The beasts of the field will glorify me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I have given waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people the people whom I have formed for myself, and they will declare my praise. Now, what's 
Isaiah referring to. God is talking about a day that is yet to come. We've seen this a little bit in the first part of Isaiah. We're going to see a whole lot of it in these final chapters of Isaiah. We've talked about it. There is a day coming. God has a plan where he's going to put everything right in this world. He's not going to let this world go on in the muck and mire and the sinfulness of its times. One day the heavens are going to open and his anointed one, the Messiah, the King of Kings, is going to return. And it says that he's going to sit on the throne of his father David. That's in Jerusalem. Yep, over there in Jerusalem. And all the nations will bow before him and come and and learn of his ways, of his law. And there will be shalom, peace. There will be righteousness. That little baby that was born to that virgin, Isaiah 7, that little child that was raised up is going to reign supreme. The government will rest upon his shoulders. And he will reign supreme. It's going to happen. Because God is sovereign. I act, and who can reverse it, says God. Do you believe it? Are you glad today that there's a God in heaven who's not up there biting his fingernails wondering what in the world are they going to do today? What world ruler is going to just screw up my plans? No. He's God, and he's sovereign, and he's unfulfilling his plans. And we can sit here today with comfort and with peace, knowing he hasn't abdicated the throne. He's God. This is a strong theme throughout all of Isaiah. Isaiah's name, his very name, the Lord is salvation. The Apostle Paul, by the way, everything we've talked about today in its original context was spoken to whom? The Israelites, Jewish people. These are promises for the Jews. So why do we waste time today talking about this? Unless you're Jewish, right? This is for Israel. Well, it's another sermon, another time. But Romans chapter 11 tells us, wonderful plan of God. He grafted the Gentiles into the rich root of the Jewish promises. And then he lopped them off because of their unbelief. That's what it says, Romans 11. But then it says, if he lopped them off, he can also regraft them in, and he will. And Romans 11, verse 25 says, and thus all Israel will be saved. And when it says Israel, it means Israel. The deliverer will come when the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And I'm way off on a tangent here, but it's a wonderful passage. And so everything we've just read today applies to us too because we've been grafted into this richness of truth. Everything... All these things we can be thankful for because if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, our life is hidden with Christ, the King, the Lord, the Savior. It's true of us. Are you thankful today? Stories told of a young college kid who walked into a photography studio with a, a framed picture of his girlfriend, clutching it lovingly, and he went to the store owner. He said, could you make an, 
an exact duplicate of this picture. Well, sure, the guy said, so he took the picture and took the frame off and the backing, and, and then he noticed on the back of that picture were these words. My dearest Tom, I love you with all my heart. I love you more and more each day. I love you forever and ever, and I'm yours for all eternity. <laughs> love, Diane. But then there was a P.S. that says, and if we ever break up, I want this picture back. <laughs> and you know what I'm thankful for today? God never puts a P.S. after this message. There's no P.S.'s with God. He says, you are mine, and I've created you, and I have formed you. I've redeemed you, I call you by your name, and I've called you by my name. You are my child, and I've wiped out your transgressions, and I will remember them no more. You're precious, and I love you. No P.S. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, we have the absolute assurance that what we have just read, God will never change. All because of Jesus. And so when it's all said and done, I'm thankful for Jesus. Let's pray. And so, Father, we just pause to say thanks. It doesn't do it justice, but I think you delight in hearing your children just reach up to you and say thank you for this wonderful salvation, for, for what you have done for us. And may we live our life in light of this. May we live our life with um, a settled joy and contentment, knowing that all these things are true. We are yours, precious in your sight, loved by you, ransomed and set free from sin. We have a Savior. And so, Father, most of all, thank you for him. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.